Okay, so we have been on a journey through the parables, as you mostly well know, and it's been really interesting, I think. Um, today, we're going to take a look at what most translations call the parable of the guests. Parable of the guests. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 14. We're going to dive in. A couple of things just before I do. I've, I've um, alternatively titled this take the low road, okay? Take the low road. And you, I think, will get that as we proceed here. But I just want to open in prayer, and then we're going to dive in, okay? Lord, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is true and life-giving at every stage and phase of life. And thank you that we have opportunity to delve in really study it and glean what you have, Lord God, for us at Faith Assembly in our lives at this very moment in time. I just pray that you would have full liberty to speak through me and that you would take this sermon in the absolute direction you want it to go. Bless the people who are here and um, have them walk away different than they came. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, talked about our church transition, Luke 14, 7, 14. So this is interesting. Um, the lead up, so the background and the context is always interesting and important. So basically what you need to just sort of grasp is Jesus is in the latter days of his ministry and he is on his way to the cross. And he is traveling, teaching, meeting people, Healing, but his ultimate mission and goal is in view, which is the cross. Okay, so keep that in mind as we sort of travel through this today. Slide error. Let's try this. Okay. So, in Luke chapter 13, which precedes the parable, we read, At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place. And go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, little sidebar on this. What's interesting about this is it's the Pharisees telling him this, right? And as if you've studied scripture, you also realize that the Pharisees are kind of in that boat too. Right? They're, they're, they're in that mindset, most of them, um, of what they want to happen to Jesus. So in the next verse, he replied, and I love this if you think we serve some sort of wimpy, Christ? We do not. He says, he replied, go tell that fox. And that's the word. If you look it up, it's fox. <laughs> I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today, tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. And those of us who are believers understand the reference here to the third day. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no profit die outside Jerusalem. So this is the backdrop. Right before the parable that we're going to talk about, Jesus was eating in the house of a prominent Pharisee, and he was being carefully watched. So the very same warning, you know, get away because Herod's going to kill you. Now they're watching you. Right? They're watching you. Oops. Okay. Let's see. Okay. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. 
there in front of him was a man suffering from a normal swelling of his body. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? Jesus then drops the parable on them. Guests, parable of the guests, in real time, in real time. So he noticed, verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Sorry. But when you are invited, verse 10, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Jeremiah may have to follow you here. Because this is giving me some slide errors. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do... They may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Which is cool because I'm imagining, well, a couple of things that are cool about this. First of all, what is this big deal about the seating? Like that kind of like, all right, so this feast and people are... See, in the Jewish tradition, what I read and found out was, actually was more elaborate than I ever thought. I don't know, maybe some of you know this. Actually, some of the religious leaders had homes where they had like levels of the home. And the higher you were in position, the higher you would ascend in the room. So the people in the top room would be like the real prestigious leaders and people of uh, high regard and reputation. But they would leave one chair in the very bottom for the lowest person. The lowest person. And by the way, sometimes that person would get brought up, but not typically. Not typically. But it's interesting. Um, and the other thing is the resurrection of the righteous and how that plays here. Pharisees and Sadducees have different views about whether there was going to be a resurrection at all. I'm imagining that there were Sadducees there as well. They did not believe in the resurrection. And that was Jesus sort of affirming, hey, there is a resurrection, and at the resurrection is when you will receive your reward. So it's just kind of interesting um, from that regard. Okay, so the rest of our focus today is there's a lot here. Seven verses, but a lot going to be on godly humility. 
godly humility. Next slide, please, Jeremiah. So what does it mean to humble ourselves before God and man? What does this mean? And, you know, let's look at a few of these key words and just try to come to grips with what this means, get some understanding. So first of all, we look at the verse, uh, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Vine's Expository Dictionary is a great resource for word lookups, and there's some interesting definitions here. So, exalt is of, salt, of, the, of haughty, another word, self-exaltation, and haughty means showing oneself above others. You're presenting yourself as being better, bigger, more reputable. proud. Do we think we're all that in a bag of chips? I just, I'm just curious. Does anybody remember this saying, we're all that in a bag of chips? I have no idea really where it came from. But I think you get it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's me. I got it together. You know, I've been around. I've seen it. I've done it. That's me. All that in a bag of chips. Now let's contrast that a bit with what we're called to be as believers. Humble servants, right? Humble servants, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and telling us that we should do the same. What's it going to be? All that in a bag of chips or humble servants? We've got a choice to make here. Next slide, please. So humble, from a dictionary standpoint, signifies low line low line, and it's always used in a good sense in the New Testament, which is very cool. So when you see the word humble, there's always goodness behind it. It's not meant to push somebody down, right? It typically denotes a low degree, humble in spirit, having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, Modest words we don't really hear and use a lot anymore, but we should. Next slide. So there's lots of scriptures here, and we're not going to go through every single one. But the guests at the feasts, the the leaders in particular, should have been like really familiar with this subject because it's all over the Old Testament, and by the way, for us the New Testament. Let's have a look at some. Next slide. So we have the, the most famous one, probably right out of the gate, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain on. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. And by the way, that's like a direct connection to the parable in terms of Jesus and what he's teaching. Next slide. Humility. Okay. Let's see if I can catch up here. Um, okay. The fear of the Lord. 
Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. I'm coming out and back in. I'm going to try it once and then I'm going to push the kingdom away. So bear with me. Sorry. You know, when God wants to speak, the devil's not happy about it. Sorry. Okay, let's go with the slides. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their Next slide. New Testament scriptures, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor, that's the NIV. I like the King James better. Grace to the humble. It's the same word, by the way, in the first sentence, in the last, in the life. NIV changed it. But Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, bag of chips. Rather, in humility, value others above you. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Amen. Okay. Next slide. So this is an interesting thing that I wanted to call out. At during, in this parable, there's a group of people, of course, but there's two sort of sets here that he's talking to. First is all of the guests. So you're a guest, you're invited. Picking the places of honor. Humble yourselves instead. Says the guest. And then to the host. So he's like, okay, I covered the guests, but I forgot about the host. By the way, when you invite people, don't do it because you expect something in return. Now it's interesting because if you think about some weddings that we even still have today, we bring gifts. No, did you hear? Oh, no, I didn't get this gift. Or, did you hear what this person gave or didn't gave? Like, we can get wrapped up in gifts and lose the entire joy of what's happening in the wedding, right? So it's, it's certainly a pertinent thing. But Jesus is basically, the reason I put this here, this is a message to everyone, okay? Whether you're a guest, whether you're a host, leader, the message of a call to godly humility. Next slide, please. Okay. So now, they clearly, at this point in their history, had completely forgotten almost where they came from. Because if we go back to 1 Samuel 16, you'll remember that the people wanted a king. People wanted a king. The first king didn't work out so well. And then God chose Samuel to be his messenger of who the next king would be. And this scripture speaks to it as the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth king. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance of 
disappeared from their way of thinking. Completely. Absolutely gone. asking. I'm still your friend. I'm talking to me. We'll hear more. Next slide, please. Okay, so I'm going to do something a little different here. And I do need a few notes of this, but um, I'm going to take the stool. So, I was getting ready to preach on humility. <laughs> How humbling. And frankly, a little scary, right? And so the interesting thing is I could see this one coming for me. And so I'm going to do my best to share some today. And um, this is not easy for me, so I'll just be up front. But God put it on my heart and basically wanted me to share, well, what does godly humility look like in your life? Right? You're going to preach it. How are you going to actually illustrate it? Exactly what it had to be. Had to be. But in order for me to sort of make this real, I've got to walk you through a little bit of history and then I'll bring you up to the present. So, let's see. Next slide, please. <clears throat> this was what I felt God really had exhorted me to do. It's from the scripture, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good what does, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Next slide. <clears throat> so, you may remember some of you who were here. I've, I've unpacked a little bit of my testimony but um, when I was young, my mother died when I was five years old. And that was traumatic, of course, to the point that I don't remember a thing about my mother. Nothing. Which, in some ways, is a blessing, I will say, and in some ways a curse. The reality of things. I don't remember my mother at all. Um, and what happened at the time was my dad remarried. And from there we had what I would just call a really difficult job. Um, I, I don't want to get into all the details all over again, but clearly there was um, trauma and abuse in my childhood for an extended period of time. And, you know, I remember, things I remember when I was a kid were listening, I don't know if anybody listening for footsteps and wanting to beat feet as I heard the ones, you know, it's like, let me get out of here. And so, it was a hard, it was a hard childhood. Now, I'm sure some of you have your own versions of your own difficult paths, but this is mine, so I'm just sharing. And so, day to day, and somebody asked me recently, well, tell me something good that you used to think about. I said, I have to be just very frank. My thoughts on a daily basis were, how do I get out of here? That's what it was. How do I get out of here? And so, 
I tell you that to lead up to more of the present, which was, thank God, in my life, for a Christian babysitter. Her name was Frances. I've shared about her before. She came. She, she came into our lives. She shared Christ. She gave us our first Bibles. And it was the hope I needed. And although I was too young, probably 11, to make a, a real commitment to the Lord, those seeds were planted big time. And then later in life, when I met my wife, Nancy, and we began our family, and we started to have children, God used that to bring me to a place where I had to answer some serious questions about life and faith and raising family and how I was going to do it, how we were going to live, and, and what I was like as a person, and I laid it all down and um, submitted my life to Jesus, and it was awesome. Awesome. And I was, boom, on top of the world. And, and I still feel on top of the world, but just in a little different way, but I'll get to that. <clears throat> So what happens, of course, is in your walk with God that once you get through that, you know, we won the Super Bowl forever <laughs> kind of feeling, you know, then you're back walking through the day-to-day -day of life. <clears throat> Next slide. And I think at the time I preached way back a little bit about these contrary winds that come up as a believer. And things that come against you that are spiritual and difficult and just more than you can really handle by yourself. And, you know, I found myself in this place and I think other people have found themselves in this place. And now I'm going to fast forward because what happened was, and this is where it's going to get personal, what I realized, and I knew this, I knew this, but I, in my thought life, some of the, the, the behaviors that came from that that were not of God. And they were not good. They had been there a long time. They had been there a long time. And the Christian, and this is where we were talking at the leadership team meeting about this, you become born again, and you're like learning, and you're, you're reading the word, and you're soaking everything up, and you feel like you know it all. All that baggage. And God wants you to know you don't know it all. And he's going to take you on a journey to become more like him. And so you go through a process of unlearning. So you begin, I'll give you a perfect example. Only people in the assemblies of God really have it going on in terms of their faith and their direction. There was a time in my early belief system that I believed that. all kinds of other Christian faiths and walks and realize that God can work through anybody he wants and does and everybody's on their own journey anyway and who, is, who am I to judge anybody that is walking out their faith differently? So again, the process of learning and unlearning. Right? By the way, I love the assemblies. I want to say that very publicly. I would never stay as part of a fellowship that I didn't believe the fundamentals and believe that the people involved were spiritually guided by God and, and, you know, the right place to be. So I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But I had some wrong thinking. 
I have some wrong thinking. So anyway, um, one of the other things that happened just when I was a kid, and I'll try not to belabor this, but, you know, you can relate. We didn't talk about the important things in my family. First of all, I, my brother and I were the only one that knew there was a lot of abuse going on. So not, it was a very private sort of experience. So it was never talked about by anybody. And we never talked about anything really important, right? And so it created this really weird way of living. And I was part of it. That was me. That was me growing up. Now I've got a family. I'm born again. I'm, I'm leading in church. But I still have this, this baggage stuff. This stinking thinking. And, some, and it would come out in different ways. But I knew it. And the people really close to me, like my lovely wife, knew it. And so... Why didn't I like, do something about it? And part of it was bad theology. Part of it was, well, God will heal me if he really wants stuff gone or wants me changed. That was part of the learning that needed to be unlearned, honestly. That, hey, Gene, why don't you take a few of these first steps that I've already told you you should be taking, and let's see what happens. Right? Oh, how could I do that? I have a reputation. What will that mean? Right? So, I am totally screwing up my slide deck here. But you're, I'm on in terms of where I wanted to. Uh, so, thank you, Jim. So, so here's where things, how things have evolved. It's really cool, and I want you to hear this part of the story. Too. Um, about six or seven months ago, I decided I was going to see I had this stuff in my life. I wasn't pleased. Now, I'm biased because I'm a coach for a living. I talk to people about this stuff all the time. <laughs> However, not about me. Right? And so, like, I'm their fresh perspective sometimes. Nobody except my wife and my close associates and pastors and stuff. But I needed but it was frustrating for me because what I definitely knew was I wanted a Christian therapist. I did not want a worldly therapist. I wanted someone with a biblical worldview, and that would be the primary way we were going to move forward together with techniques that he or she would bring from a psychological perspective. Like I didn't want it reversed. I didn't want it just psychological. And I could not find this person frustrated the dickens up. You do searches on the various you know, sites that have therapists available and things, and it's hard to find. Until it's God's perfect time. Honestly. Nancy and I were, were, were talking about this, and she's like, well, let's just do another check. I had done this check a hundred times. Nobody ever came up. The first person that comes up on the list says, Christian therapist former pastor, now full-time licensed therapist. Having to live close to where I live. Yeah. That's Jesus jumping into that boat. And I'm like, wow. 
So I've been going to therapy. I've been going to therapy. It's been a journey. It's been about six months. It's been awesome. It's been super hard. Super hard. Um, there was a period, I was explaining a little bit of this to Pastor Steve, where it was a very raw thing, if you understand what I mean. It was like a wound that was still open, and so even though it was good to process things and I was getting some good insight and, you know, crafting a plan to do things differently and what have you and to think differently, um, every time any little thing would happen, that wound would be, like, so fresh. And that was really bothersome. And if you ever go down this path, just understand that's part of this journey. Don't give up because that hurt. Because that was a thought that occurred to me. I don't think I can survive this. I'm not sure I can do this. And God would always say, with all things. You can do all things. We just sung. You can all do all things with you. And so I hung in there. And it's been, it's been really great um, in that I've learned some things. I've learned some things, and I've been able to do some things differently. And it's been wonderful, difficult. So I share all that out of humility. And I want to thank my brother Jim because he opened the door a little bit with some ideas and thoughts he presented. And then I want to thank Pastor Steve for giving me the opportunity to share. But I want to, I want to encourage you because <clears throat> I want to talk about why I didn't do this sooner in a minute. But I want to encourage you, if you are here or online or know somebody struggling with mental health, struggling with mental health. Know that it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't have to be swept under the rug all the time. It doesn't have to be the subject not talked about. Your brain is a vital organ. Your arm is. If you break it, you certainly go get the attention you need. If something's off here that leads to something being off here, okay. It's okay. God wants to heal us on the inside. So I just say that to encourage you to, if you've got something like this or know somebody like this, please encourage them. There is help. There is help. God loves them. This isn't his condemnation. This is him asking them, listen, like he asked me, are you going to be continue to exalt yourself, even if you're sort of just wanting to paint a picture of yourself and somebody else, or do you want to become more and more like you? And by the way, it's a very cool thing because while we're becoming more like him, our relationships get better with other people. Our thought process improves. We've done some things together as a couple that are new and different physical activities. We're playing pickleball. Another story, another subject. But my, the point is that there's health in a lot of different areas that comes out of a place of humility. If you need to bring something like that. Okay, so that's, that's that part. Jeremiah, if you can, can you skip over to the place about the impediments? What caused me not to seek the healing sooner? because I want to tie this back to the parable. 
yeah, this is it. This is it. Next slide, please. Thank you. So what prevented the guests and what prevented me? The answer is pride. It's pride. Now, there were other reasons. There are other reasons. Fear of being hurt and, and fear of the process and stuff like that. But the bottom line is pride. Hey, I've been a lay leader in the church for probably almost all of my Christian there are expectations that come with that. And they're right. The expectations aren't all, they're not wrong. But how are we going to meet those expectations? Are we going to meet them authentically from our hearts and have that show? Or are we going to put on the, all that in a bag of chips for someone? Which is not really me to begin with. So it never felt right. But what are we going to do? And the pride is what kept me, and the pride is what kept the guests and the host and the parable from doing what Jesus said, which was, lower yourself, I will exalt you. Humble yourself, I will lift you up. Stop trying to lift yourself up. Humble yourself. This was the crux of the problem. It's the crux of the problem with most of our disobedience as believers. Right? All right, next slide, please. So I call that the low road to healing. And I'm really glad I've taken the low road. And, you know, I'm getting emotional because I know I'm not alone. begin to wrap up today. Um, so there's real help. I've, I've spoken about that. There's real help for your past and for hurts you carry. It's a process and it takes time. So this is a hard one because, again, we've talked about this as a church before. We live in a microwave society. I want something to eat, put it in for two and a half minutes and bring it up. Done. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. I usually get a stomach ache. Um, God often wants us to take those first steps. He is a miracle worker and a healer, and he can do that sometimes. And I know people have testimonies of being healed physically, being healed of things that they were dealing with, but it doesn't happen that way all the time. It's about you. What do you most need at that particular time? What I need is what I'm doing. I need to be going through this process. And he knows that. So that's what he asks us to do sometimes. Um, and his timing, I'm skipping because I covered the rest of this. His timing is absolutely, absolutely perfect. Perfect. He knows when to bring the right people to you at the right time. And it's usually on the heels of your obedience. When you and your heart make the decision to do something differently, God Oh, you've been looking, now your heart's in the right place, boom. Here's the person. Here's the place. Here's how it's going to work. His timing is perfect. We just need to trust him, and we need to 
realize, hey, we may need to take the first step. All right, next slide. This is ultimately the model for our humility. We talked a little bit about at the beginning of the sermon how Jesus is doing this teaching with his death on the cross immediately ahead. And now, just try to wrap your head around that a little bit. You know that you're headed to one of the most grisly deaths, painful, that anybody could ever experience in three days or five days or seven days. Sometime soon, and you're on your way there, and you're meeting people, and you're still feeling loving them, teaching them, wanting what's best for them. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And his name is Jesus. Next slide. <clears throat> Philippians tells us this. In your relationships with one another, key, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our ultimate model as believers of the kind of humility that he wants from us. Carry our cross. Lay down our lives. Die in order to live. Those are the kinds of things that he, he yearns for from his church. And they're, they're attainable if we, will, if we will lower ourselves. If we will come to him humbly, asking promises to you. And I'm here as one person the years into my walk with Christ to tell you he delivers every time. Every time. So I know I have more slides. We're not going to go there today. I, I really have discharged what it is that God sent me here for today. Um, I hope that you find some encouragement in it. Um, I ask you to continue to keep personally in your prayers. Um, he's doing a good work, but that work's not finished. Probably not going to be finished for quite some time. So uh, really covet your prayers in, in that regard. And, uh, really, that's, that's really what I have uh, in this church. Have uh, some closing comments you'd like to make. Thank you, everybody. Really appreciate you.